this ship. Keep it quiet. Go get the bastard. Things are about to get a lot worse. Captain! Titan's dead in the water. No one is coming to rescue us, Will. This is the end, my friend. Greetings, nerds. This is Will Polk. I'm the producer and co-host of the Cena Nerd Podcast with our host, Sarah Beaumont. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today, I'm going to be reviewing Star Trek Picard, Episode 3-4, No End Scenario. It was written by Terry Metalis and Sean Tretta and directed by Jonathan Two Takes Freaks. This is a spoiler review, so if you haven't watched the episode, stop here and go watch it and then come back and watch my review. Or if you don't care to be spoiled, then continue to watch. But be sure to stay to the end to hear my theory of the week. And I would love to hear from you as well here on the podcast. So be sure to comment as we go through this review. And if you like what I'm hearing, be sure to smoosh the like button. And we really would appreciate uh, you hitting the subscribe button to our podcast as well. So let's get right to it. I'm going to break up the episode into three parts. There's the A story, which I'll be primarily focusing on Admiral Picard, Captain Riker, and Captain Shaw. The B story, where I will be talking about Seven hunting down the changeling that we learned about last week. And then finally, the C story with Beverly figuring out the contractions were something that was going to be leading to the birth of a space baby. So those are the things that uh, we will be focusing on in this episode. So let's get right to it. So my overall thoughts of this episode was that it was it was a good change of pace this week. Last week, we really had a lot of action, a lot of things going on with the Titan and the Shrike, the, the cat and mouse game inside the nebula, very a la Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. But um, the big thing that this episode really focuses on is the title, which is No End Scenario. And folks who are, are very familiar with Trek shows that when you hear No End Scenario, the first thing that pops into mind is obviously the Kobayashi Maru, which is a test that cadets take at Starfleet Academy. And it's a test of character uh, to how you would deal with a potentially no-win scenario whenever you're commanding a mission or commanding a starship. And we've seen this played out in, in many iterations throughout Trek, of course. Captain Kirk, uh, then Cadet Kirk, was able to uh, overcome the test by, by, by changing the test. He, he reprogrammed it because... Kirk did not believe in a no-end scenario. Uh, we've seen it, uh, it, it with Jean-Luc Picard and whenever he had a situation on the, on the Stargazer where the, they, he came up with the Picard maneuver. And even though during that uh, crisis he lost his friend Jack Crusher, he, you know, he did become captain of the Stargazer and, and then later Enterprise and, and his, his Starfleet career. And we've also seen it with other, second, other characters as well. We saw it with Wesley Crusher and the next generation when he had the psych test. So this is a pretty common test, Spock and Wrath of Khan, that everyone has to take. And again, it's, it's not a test of right or wrong, but a test of character. So with that, let's stop, jump right into the story. So we start with Jean-Luc five years earlier in 10 Ford in Los Angeles on Founders Day. 
and uh, around the cadets come to him while he's trying to have his lunch and really wants to get some words of wisdom from the admiral. And of course, he, of course, is, he does the evil. You know, I'm not much of a storyteller, but, you know, he then does indulge the cadets and starts talking about how he, uh, how, what the importance of the crew is, how, how, how important of having camaraderie and trust in one another. And, and at the end of the day, having that hope that, uh, that, that will be built from his, his, his explorations. And also in the story, the cadets start peppering him some more. It's like, well, tell us about how he defeated the hydrogen, and and he and he also starts to get into other stories. And we and we have these flashbacks all throughout the episode where we go back to Ten Ford, but then we go to present day, and then we end up back on the Titan, where of course we just had that moment from the last episode where Riker tells Picard to get off my bridge, and and then Riker, um, when this episode starts, present day he comes to apologize to to Picard, and also he uh, Picard also wants to apologize for his actions because he was like, "Look, Will, I overstepped." But before they could really get into that, we really want to, you know, the reason why I focus on this scene is we start focusing on Riker and his his own version of of the Noah scenario and and why. He took the actions that he did in the third episode as far as trying to protect the Titan from the Shrike and going into the nebula and not risking the crew and, and their lives. And, and he admitted to John Luke that John Luke was right uh, that in, in, many, in as many words because he was focusing on his loss. And, and, we, and we find Riker here, someone who was very, very broken because of the, the, the devastating loss of his child, Thaddeus. And, 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 and he talks about how in all their travels and, and going to the farthest reaches of space and, and all the things they've seen, the one thing that he has never had any confidence in is whether or not there was an afterlife, which is a very interesting point that uh, Star Trek really uh, sometimes takes a very hands-off approach to religion as far as a particular faith. I mean, I think they recognize that religion is out there, but it's not one of those things that one faith is predominant over another. And so here we, we really get an interesting exploration of Riker's character that he does have some type of belief system. And he was that that belief system was, was shaken uh, because of what happened to him and how he closed himself off from Deanna. And we learn why they they are now estranged. It was something that he did because he just could not deal with the um, loss. And so, you know, the thing again with the no win scenario is a test of character and how your character is in a particular situation. And in Riker's situation, he he his approach to things was to to, to shut off emotions from the people that he cares the most about his anxiety. Deanna Troy, and and so in, in in this process, he he had that loss. But like anything, it's how you respond to that loss, which is something David and Captain Kirk and Ratha Khan talked about. Is it's not so much what happens; it's like what you can learn from it. And Riker, in his in this moment, was it told John Luke, "Look, you need to." 
make things right with Jack. And it's very important that, that Riker tells him this is because he, Riker had his own complicated relationship with his own father. And fortunately, they were able to patch things up. But John Luke only has, at this point in the story, only has a limited amount of time to make things right with Jack. So what happens next is we do go to the life deck on 10 Ford. And um, not 10 Ford, but the, the, the holodeck. And I know people will quibble about the holodeck. And yes, they're, they're all in the crisis here. And energy is at its at points. But the explanation here actually by that it was a throwaway line of dialogue that has its own self-sustaining system. But the bigger point is this life deck is one where people can go in these types of stressful situations and have have the appropriate release that they may need to get through that crisis. So, again, going through this whole theme of no win scenarios and how you approach it as far as what you're what you're made of and what your character Going to the holodeck and then having Jack and Picard talk about the big question, when did you lose your hair? Which I love that line. I, I really did enjoy that. Uh, but but they do get to a to a more you know deeper point too with their interactions. And that was tell tell me about a story where, you know, about my namesake and he talks about Jack Crusher the first. Beverly's dead husband. And, you know, Picard admits if he had known, if he had known about having children, he would have, like, named his or his son Jack as well. So, you know, I think to take me out of soda, not being a prude or anything, but when, when John Luke uh, did drop the F-bomb, and I did drop out of it a little bit, but then again, maybe he's like, you know what, we're going to die here anyway, so he has no more Fs to give. Maybe that was where that was coming from. I really like to hear from Terry Metalis as far as uh, what his what his thinking was was having John Luke uh, drop an f bomb like that because we really haven't seen him do that type of thing before. But uh, yeah, but we, we you know we, Jack and Picard start talking about the story and Picard shares about a situation where he was in a no win scenario with Jack Crusher the first. And when they stole the shuttle, uh, when they were uh, serving on the Stargazer together, and they go for a hookup on another planet, and, and and so it was really, you know, I guess I would call it like a cheat code. And it really ties back to the things that Picard was talking about in the flashback uh, in Los Angeles at Ten Forward about having trust and, and and friendships and and relationships and people you could trust on, and that's a theme that goes all throughout Star Trek, whatever iteration of this show you have you 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 find your favorite that is a theme that is that permeates star trek and so we're in we're on we're in the life station and then captain shaw walks in and he's hearing you know the great this story and he's just like yes tell me about this story yeah i, I want to hear this and really this this moment you know is is really a, a highlight for me todd stashwich just just nailed it with this but you know, he, he we get the star date four zero zero point two two point three, and four four, and we know that's the fourth season, and we hear that star date, and it's the best of both worlds when John Luke was abducted by the Borg, and 
becomes Lucutus a Borg. And, and Shaw's like, he is such an integral part of the Borg. They actually named him, and his name permeates. And this scene shares so many things about Shaw's character. We, we, it really ties back to something from, from the very first episode with Vodic talking about Shaw's psychological profile. And, and we learned about Shaw's no-win scenario. And it wasn't that he was the one that actually uh, was having to make the decision. It was during the Wolf of 359 battle on the Constance where a lieutenant had to come in there and to save the side of the 50 people who made it down to the lifeboats, which person was, which 10 were going to live and die. And he was number 10 and he was the, and then he had the survivor's guilt of realizing that what's, you know, the consequence of someone else deciding in this no win scenario, who lives, who dies. And so it was uh, uh, just a very powerful moment, and, and Todd Stashwich really just, just nails it in, in so many levels. Uh, but also, it, we 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 learned that um, it's how you how you deal with situations, and, and and how with that survivor's guilt. You know, he, we get a little bit more about his back character. He was uh, he was a grease mon- monkey on the Constance. He was you know an engineer. So. So, which comes into play later in this episode, and so, uh, and then last point with Shaw before we transition to the to the B story is how that changed him individual. So I, I'm looking forward to them exploring that more as we go through the season. So that's a good place for us to segue to the B story, which was seven. Uh, going after the uh, the changeling. So we learned about the changeling in the prior episode that the men has a splinter group that is wanting to start a new war with Starfleet. Uh, and then, uh, you know, whenever she has her interactions with Riker, Riker close to the best because, again, he is trying to, you know, we're thinking about no-win scenarios. Looks like things are bleak, and it's very important to keep the morale of the crew up. And he also told her he was going to stay here suspension, which comes into play because she and the Shaw then have an interaction. And one of the things that with the Shaw story uh, with the Wolf Three Five Nine, we learn why he has such contempt for for Seven, and it was because obviously we learned he was on in that that battle. And the other thing about Shaw, one last thing I wanted about it was. Uh, with Shaw and Picard, with with Wolf Three Five Nine, is the uh, interactions that Shaw had was very reminiscent of, of Cisco. And in both instances, Picard's reaction was, "I understand," and then he just kind of goes on and gets to back to the mission. With Shaw, he has and Seven have a good talk about how to shape how to figure out a, a person's a changeling or not. And he, you know, he talks about how little details as far as person's life, you could ferret it out. And of course he was Shaw a typical Shaw manner. And, and he, um, you know, it's very nice and very complimentary to seven, but, uh, but again, he shows that contempt and she's like, ah, I get it. Which put a pen in that because that becomes a critical point later in the episode. Uh, also, just to rest the note, speaking of angelies, 
we, we learned that uh, that Vodic actually has either is a changeling or at least has a changeling attached to her because whenever they were chasing things down, he um, tells her to continue to chase, chase after the ship into the nebula. And so that was something that was very, um, you know, just carrying a plot forward with this episode as far as the, the changeling threat to the Federation. So Seven manages to, to kill, find the, the, the changeling and kill the changeling. And then one last thing that uh, also uh, they determine is that um, the, uh, you know, we had a nice, another nice nod to Odo in that episode, uh, which was again, a uh, nice tribute to Renee Dubois, who uh, played, who played the character and, and, and was a part, went back to, Odo went back to the Great Link to, uh, uh, and warned Worf about the uh, Splinter Group that we're dealing with now. So we then transition back to the, the bridge. We are, um, trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, Riker and Picard are, are working together again. Uh, we have a nice moment of Picard telling him to engage. Uh, Riker um, is working very well uh, as far as his number one again. They're on the bridge. Uh, we see Beverly and, and Jack come up, and we'll get to the sea story as far as how those, these things are interrelated in here in a moment. Uh, but then the uh, one of the things that uh, that happens here is uh, we see Shaw uh, and is coming to help out the crew because he knows the ship so well, which is a nice callback to uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture with with uh, Decker whenever Admiral Kirk took over the Enterprise, uh, and and they had a challenge there, and, and this so this this the scene here where Decker. Uh, like Decker, Shaw uh, takes opens up the nacelle so they can collect the energy that uh, Beverly figures out is, is, is a, and Jack figure out as a, could be used as a power. The team figures it could be a power source to power them out of the nebula uh, with these energy waves that have been like coming through at regular intervals uh, throughout the episode. They could use that to to, to power up the the warp drive and, and to re-energize the engines to get out of the out of the nebula. And so in the process of doing so, a very critical thing that happens is uh, Sydney LaForge and uh, something that, again, goes back to how I'm loving how they're tying all these things together from the episode. And one of the things that prior episodes and one of the things that happened uh, was the in, in the previously on at the beginning of this episode, they have the place where uh, LaForge calls Seven, who Captain Shaw always calls Commander Hanson, they calls her Commander Hanson, and instead of calling her Commander Hanson, he calls her. She uh, crashed the forge. Calls her Commander Seven. So whenever, whenever we get to the scene where they're trying to you know, in the engine room, trying to figure out what to do and, with and, and open up the vents, and Seven steps away for a moment, uh, LaForge comes in and. The, the the changeling uh, is, um, is is there and realizes that seven they, they realize that the um, changeling is able to they through everything in the conversation because of the conversation that seven and Shaw had earlier seven was like well you know 
what's my name? And then she, and then of course the, the, the changeling, uh, says that, uh, you know, they say they call her commander Hanson and that's when they figured it out. So that was just a nice touch that even though Shaw and seven clearly do not get along, they have, you know, I think that contempt was starting to melt away that he had before. And, and, and even though, and the, and she, even though they have their issues, she was seven was able to, again, get to the points that Picard made earlier in the episode come full circle with the um, happened, the, the ability to, uh, to work together to, to the, to a common good. And then that also leads to the, uh, to the, the ship escaping. And then we get the beautiful image of the uh, Titan uh, back at warp speed. Now moving to the, to the sea story. And the and how that all plays with everything. Uh, again, we're we're you know, Beverly is, is is at her core. Even though she's a doctor, she's also a scientist. And of course, she was noticing the the rhythm of the um, the energy waves that were coming through the nebula. And one of the things that um, she noted, they come at a certain time. So she was like counting each time. And so as I was watching the episode, I was like, oh, here here comes the here comes the trek thing. And and she does figure out the timing and realizes that it is that they are um, having the nebulas having the, essentially contractions, and this is her approach to the no win scenario. And then the um, the moment that that happens, um, they they figure out that this is a they're in a baby, it's a womb. They need to. They can. They can utilize these energies to to repower, as I noted before, the warp engines. And it was just a very, very nice moment because another thing that they noted was that this entity was kind of taking energy and converting it in, in, into matter, and vice versa. So uh, we. Um, this was a. All, they even do a name check reference back to the pilot to to encounter Farpoint. So you know, fortunately, the Titan is able to get out. The um, Riker does. He, he 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 again. It's about the no win scenario and learning and, and and learning from the tactical mistakes you made from before. And he learned like, oh, I know what I will do. I will toss an asteroid by using the tractor beam mechanism that. Vodic did against us. So they use that, get out, and are able to to uh, able to escape the nebula. And so that was that was an amazing moment. And then what was a really super geeky, nerdy, deep gut Star Trek thing, they reference Encounter at Far Point, but then when they see the aliens, they look very reminiscent, the little space babies look very reminiscent to the uh, uh, Space aliens that were at Deneb for encounter uh, encounter at Starpoint uh, Farpoint, where at the end of the of the of the pilot episode for Star Trek: The Next Generation, so that was a very nice callback to to the pilot uh, at the end of this episode. Uh, Riker is able, you know, he he does meet. Uh, you know, he, he earlier in the episode he, he he leaves a message. He started recording messages for Deanna. He actually does 
reach back out to Deanna and they're able to start healing his, his loss and his broken spirit. As far as the loss of his son, he talks about how he, he, you know, he, 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 he learned a lot from this situation. And that's another thing again about this no win scenario, you know, of course, you know, people will sometimes focus on the negative aspects of it, but sometimes like Beverly and like Will, there could be birth and, and renewed life and things to come out of very tragic situations sometimes. So that was a very good lesson learned. But then we get to the moment with the final flashback to Picard in 10 Ford in Los Angeles. And of course, the whole story about the hookup and all the things going on. And of course, you know, he starts to tell it in, 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 the, uh, in the holodeck before Shaw walks in. But, you know, one of the last things one of the cadets asked him is about family and the, um, you know, Picard's response back to her. And I paraphrase and it's Star Trek, Starfleet is the only family that I need. And, you know, as the crowd opens up a little bit and we pan over to the bar, we see a young Jack Crusher sitting there. And, and I love the moment that that happens between Picard and Jack five years in the past and five years into the present day. And the look across the bridge when Picard realizes that, holy crap, I made that comment to you know, whenever he was he was there. And then, you know, of course, obviously, Jean-Luc didn't know that that was his son. But, you know, again really hits the chef's kiss as far as the storytelling there, because again, the J Beverly gave Jack the choice and Jack did take the advantage of that moment to go and learn about his father. And he was there to meet the legendary Jean-Luc Picard. But of course, because of what Picard said and his humble brag, and he was all, all up in himself about Starfleet and everything then he just says that very insensitive thing, obviously not knowing, but because of that, any chance that he and Jack, at least prior to the events in this episode and this season, knowing one another was, was dashed at that day. So now that that revelation has occurred, I'm very, very, very curious to see how they're going to deal with that moving forward. So before we end, I have a quick, so that's, uh, that's the episode breakdown. I do have a theory of the week uh, with Jack's splashing into the water and seeing all the red um, storms and things going on. So I was thinking about that and the and the, and the throwaway line from Raffi from season one of, of the season, of the series. And, uh, and, and also in this, and how Raffi's always had her conspiracy theories and everything else. And one of the things that was very clear in that flashback was a voice said that said, find me. And so I'm thinking, and let me know your thoughts in the comment, that is the red angel. And, and the reason why I'm thinking it's the red angel from Star Trek Discovery is this to find me uh, with Rafi's throwaway line about, um, you know, conspiracy theories. And, and for folks who haven't watched Star Trek Discovery, the red, the red angel is and spoiler alert ahead, but essentially, it uh, in the second season, Michael 
um, has there's this red angel that keeps appearing. We find out that it's Michael's mother who has been bouncing back and forth at time. The discovery at the end of, the, of the, that, which was set in the 23rd century, uh, Michael puts on the suit and then it and the discovery go to the future. And if Starfleet has to classify everything that happens to it. But given that, as we all know, whenever you try to classify things, leaks always do happen. And Rafi has heard, and people in Starfleet talk. So Rafi had clearly had heard about this Red Angel legend. And so I'm thinking that this is a tie-in to Discovery. I don't know if it's just a, you know, how, how it impacts the overall story with the changelings. And we still have lore hanging out there. You know, I don't know how all, how all is going to fit together. But I think that Find Me has something to do with time and also with the with Rafi looking for the Red Lady, I don't think at first it, we thought it might have been the statue of Captain Garrett on Metallus, but I think that was a red herring. I think now that Red Lady is actually the Red Angel, and there were some other lines as well that were that that, that, that they're talking about contacts and 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 all. So let me know your thoughts on that. If I if if you think it's the Red Angel or if you think it's something else, so. Uh, and also, it would just be a nice little tie-in to, to, again, given that the series has been a love letter to Star Trek, how they could all tie together. Uh, just a few quick nitpits before uh, before I sign off here. Uh, I think many people, I know Terry Metallus himself, complained about the lighting of the episode. That was, a, you know, it, I don't know what was going on there, but it seemed very, very dark. Uh, as I noted before, some of the anachronisms as far as Picard using F-bombs and that kind of thing. Again, I'm not a prude, I mean, but as far as swearing, but one of the things that other series like Battlestar Galactica and every and others do sometimes is come up with their own like you know unique versions of swearing. So maybe you know, but that that that's neither here nor there. And then uh, shout out to the uh, Trek culture. If you have, if you're not watching the ups and downs over there, they do a great job in, uh, of breaking down episodes and they pointed out a few continuity errors, in particular with the changeling with the uh, pot, not the cannabis, <laughs> but. Uh, actually, just you know, with the uh, the quarters of the in individual who was murdered by the changeling. But uh, overall, I'm really, really loving this season. This is, in my closing thoughts, this is uh, why we love Star Trek. The teamwork, the camaraderie, the drama, love the themes that were going on. And of course, we still have all the references to Wrath of Khan. But really, this this third season truly is not only a love letter to the next generation, but a full love letter, quite frankly, to the whole Star Trek franchise. And, you know, so even down to the musical notes, like for example, this week, the James Horner beats from Star Trek two, when they were, they were emerging from the nebula and those kind of things. So um, I appreciate your, your watching this and, and break me breaking down the episode, please. Again, let me know your thoughts. Uh, drop a comment. Drop a, hit that like button and subscribe. Check out our team interviews. Sarah and I will be uh, on our main show this upcoming week. We'll be breaking down episodes three and four to get uh, a, a another person's perspective on the uh, my my co my host of our show's perspective on on Star Trek uh, Picard. Uh, she's not a big uh, Star Trek geek as me, but uh, but I always uh, I do. It's good to hear other perspectives on on something uh, that that 
you know, all of us Trekkers really, really enjoy. So check our, be sure to subscribe so you can listen to our, our uh, team review uh, next week. But also follow our crew on Twitter at Senior Nerd. Friend us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at Scene underscore N underscore Nerd. And visit our website, www.scenernerdpodcast.com. But most importantly, rate, follow, and comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, here on YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Live long and prosper.